Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. In this first of a two-part series, learn how artificial intelligence and particularly generative AI is sparking numerous discussions about the use of AI to support the DHS mission and what industry is doing to support the AI transformation taking place at the Department of Homeland Security. Featuring Reggie Brothers, former DHS Undersecretary for SNT, John Molella from the CBP Invent team, Amy Henninger at DHS's SNT Directorate, Wale Moses from Microsoft, and Henry J. Powell at GDIT. This discussion took place at the annual HSDF Border Security Symposium in Washington, D.C. on December 12, 2023. You've heard a lot today, right? I mean, I heard some of it, not all, but you've heard about the future of Border Patrol. You've heard about various challenges, including fentanyl. Uh, discuss AI and data analytics for mission support. And now, in this last session, this last session, what we want to do is put this together. We want to discuss how AI is currently being leveraged or maybe used to meet future needs. What are the challenges and how industry can help? So there's a lot to talk about. So let's get started. So I'd like to start with, um, you've already heard the introductions. I'd like to start with um, Wole and Jay, both of you. So let's, Wole, let's start with you. So based on your knowledge of what you see as kind of the best, either current or future technologies, what do you think are some of the, the best use cases? What, how do you think AI can best be leveraged by Border Patrol? Okay, I'll start. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. All right, awesome. So I'm Wale Moses, as, as mentioned earlier. I'm part of the Microsoft Federal Civilian Team, and I'm helping to lead a lot of our generative AI initiatives. And as a result, this has been, I've been at Microsoft almost 25 years. This is the busiest year ever with all of the excitement over generative AI. So, so Dr. Brothers, to your question, uh, obviously generative AI is the exciting, uh, is the topic du jour. And there's a lot of interesting questions from a use case perspective. Generative AI really um, can help around doing things like uh, analysis of data, uh, creation of data, and searching across data. You can apply that across uh, tactical implementations. There's some, if you think about, for example, around uh, analysis of data, thinking about um, a corpus of data that might, be, might include witness statements. It might include social me- what's happening in social media. Uh, it might include uh, other uh, details from other cases, similar cases that might be currently being investigated. Generative AI lets us do that analysis at scale. And so, and it lets us, to, lets us automate that. And so that's just one quick example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there'll be others, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, thanks, Jay. Yeah, so um, when you're talking about AI, we've had, this is not the first time you heard about it today, right? And we've heard, talked about a lot of folks have talked about what is required. So the enablement of AI has a lot of precursors, right? The precursors would be, infrastructure, endpoint computing, edge computing, tactical computing, um, the communications infrastructure, the sensors doing their job. But when we start talking about AI, whether it's generative AI, predictive models that are beyond standard generative AI, the challenge is, is this is not Microsoft Office. You don't stick a CD-ROM in and all of a sudden this thing boots up and boom, you have AI, right? The selection of your language model, uh, whether it's something you develop yourself or something that's open source that you tailor to, is something that has to be trained, right? You have to train that AI to do and do the work for you to help augment what it is, the repetitive tasks or the tactical tasks that are necessary. 
training that AI after you've selected a model or two, and sometimes you need more than one to do a predictive analysis as opposed to a generative analysis, uh, requires you to invest that time and energy and also ensure that that AI gives you what you're looking for and is within bounds of what you're trying to achieve. You know, Jim, I'm not going to let you off the hook yet. So framework, how would you think about, so given what you just said, do you have a framework for thinking about what kinds of use cases are applicable that to most effectively and efficiently use in AI? Yeah, so um, so my colleague from Microsoft made it very clear that there are some scenarios about ingesting the information and getting access to that information quickly. And that is a use case that is developed um, and, quite frankly, very successful. But imagine that you have the warfighter in the field, the tactical agent in the field, all they've got is their SME pad or their phone, or assuming they can have some connectivity just to whatever they're looking at. But if I'm driving around in my Jeep and I'm trying to decide I'm going to have to approach an adversary, and this was mentioned a little bit earlier today, if if the sensors are telling me that it's eight people and it looks like a family with a bunch of small children, my threat level is going to be different. If that predictive model tells me they've started here, they're going to go this way, which is a known bad way, and it looks like they're carrying rifles that are slung over their shoulder, my response is going to be different. If we go back to what the chief said this morning, everything that we're trying to do revolves around can they get their job done the most effective way to defend the nation, and two, do they go home to their families at night? And if you think about some of the models that my colleague talked about and some of the models that are that get intermixed with that, if making that work so that the decision that need to be made by the operator is solely based is based on information available so that I can decide what's my threat level, do I need that help because seconds matter, we heard that. If, if, if help is 20 minutes away, I might want to not engage and go get that help before I engage anything to defend that border. Now, you can take that same use case for predictive for fiscal, workforce labor, supply chain, it all rolls into the same thing. But training that model to make it work that way is a function of not exorbitant amount of time, but you've got to think through the use cases end to end and make sure that that model gets trained effectively. Otherwise, the model is just something else consuming CPU cycles and comm bandwidth. Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, John, over to you. So, so from your perspective, what are some of the use cases that you're currently using um, AI to try to, to try to get some better capability out of? Sure, Reggie. And I'm going to be very concise because I realize that the only thing between you and happy hour is us. <laughs> so I want to make sure that I, I use my time wisely. So a few things, just to, to touch on what Jay and Wole said. CBP faces uh, just a huge scale, uh, un almost an unimaginable scale of number of travelers, migrants encountered between the ports of entry, cargo containers that we encounter at our ports. And that, that grows every year. So uh, I would love to say that our, our workforce also grows at the same proportion, but it's just not the reality. So how do, we, how do we deal with those challenges? One is we need to find ways, and we are looking at ways to reduce the cognitive loads uh, on, our, on our officers and agents. And that's something that's already been touched on. So, for example, uh, applying computer vision technology. Uh, at, at our ports of, uh, or actually between the ports of entry. So instead of having agents uh, glued to screens uh, looking at video, you know, applying computer vision that, that actually can detect whether or not that uh, the thing that's crossing, is it, is it uh, a human or is it caribou? Uh, it's most important for us to know the, the distinction uh, and then take action based on that. Um, also looking at, uh, again, looking at that cognitive load piece, you know, um, 
we have officers that are uh, traditionally have been glued to screens looking at x-rays of conveyances uh, and, and of, of uh, cargo containers. So, uh, for instance, a- April of this year, we released a solicitation to industry where we're looking to implement um, advanced analytics uh, to, that, uh, to those x-rays. So, again, freeing up the officer, instead of looking at a screen for eight hours, being able to use the, the machine learning to be able to, to actually detect an anomaly and then cue the officer to, uh, to do a further inspection. So I would say cognitive load uh, is certainly one of, the, one of the highlights that we're looking at. Thanks, John. I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Sure. Was there, was there another one you wanted to get at? No, that's it, because okay. happy hours. Happy, okay. yeah. I mean, my bad, John. Sure. Um, <laughs> Amy, um, yeah. S&T. So what is S&T doing? Give us a baseline. What kind of things is S&T doing in this area? Yeah, so this is a great question. Um, so let's see. You know, the decisioning part of AI is always hard, right? Because it's kind of like asking, can you use math to make something better? And the answer is almost always yes, right? You can. Uh, and, and in S&T, we have to do that not just for CBP, but across all the components. So uh, it's a very broad spectrum, right? And, and when you look at that stuff, and hopefully, you know, someday, you know, we have a new AI task force, been there like about six months. So we're just kind of getting off the ground with that. But, uh, you know, number one, you have to look at the value proposition, right? What's, what's the return on the investment? Um, uh, and you have to make sure the data are available, right? Uh, that's super, super important. And then um, you have to make sure you're consistent with strategic guidance, right? And in our case, uh, our secretary, Secretary Mayorkas, has given us very specific guidance on the kinds of priority priorities he's assigning right now to AI, and that includes fentanyl detection, you know, child exploitation, uh, adversarial AI. So certain. Uh, topics that he's very, very interested in, uh, which is what we're assigning highest priority to in our AI task force. As far as programs that we work for CBP, uh, we have um, some things, uh, one called Kestrel, uh, which is a program that uh, ingests all sorts of sensor data, and I'm not going to get too far into the methods because I don't want to reveal the the, um, underlying uh, algorithms, but uh, it allows us to do uh, predictions of um, uh, uh, vehicles and, and entities uh, and make interdictions. Let's just put it that way. Sure. And uh, it's been very successful to date. And that's uh, a uh, improving program, right? It's sort of prototype-ish, uh, but it's been used in operations and it's showing great promise and we continue, we continue to uh, improve on it and expand on it. Another thing that we're working is uh, uh, the Reaper++. I'm from the DOD, so I like to call the MQ-9 Reaper. Uh, but, but here at uh, S&T, they call it the big wing. Uh, and uh, we're working towards uh, giving that bigger wings basically to add more fuel and extend its uh, lifespan and capacity uh, during uh, any specific operation. So those are kind of a flavor of the types of things we're doing with CBP. Thanks, Amy. So, John, going back to you. So you mentioned cognitive load, these kinds of things, right? You also mentioned scale in terms of scale of data. But when you think about the scale of AI adoption within your organization, what are some of the challenges there and how are you working through those? Yeah, it's a really good question. So a couple of things. As far as the, the adoption of the technology, and again, we're looking at you know, officers and agents you know, integrating this into their workflow. Um, we know whenever there's a, a new, either a new tool or a new technology, there's going to be an adjustment period, 
And that's just the, just the way it is. You know, I, I am an officer. I, I, I understand the mindset of, you know, having something now dropped in my lap that I need to use. Um, you know, I, there's a certain amount of skepticism that needs to be overcome uh, in that situation. Um, I think, I think that, uh, as, as Amy talked about, you know, the structures that are being put in place, you know, the AI task force uh, and others, even at the component level, you know, that we, you know, selecting a, a chief AI officer and, uh, and setting up the, the AI, uh, you know, center of innovation uh, at the CBP level. I think that certainly is going to assist as we move to push these technologies out to the field. Can you, how are you familiar with the, the CBP AI Center of Innovation? Could you can you talk a little bit about that, John? Yeah, well, that was set up uh, just, uh, gee, not that long ago, I guess within the last few years. And I think it was recognized at the time that we, we needed um, a way to consolidate the different, the different energies you know, in one place. Uh, and I think we're seeing this really across the government. I think, you know, prior to the executive order that, that uh, the White House issued, it, it was kind of the Wild West, I would say. You know, a lot of different disparate efforts in the AI machine learning realm. Uh, and not that that's bad, but just to, to concentrate that in one area. And again, bring the expertise and the guidance in one area is going to make it stronger. And that's, that was the, the impetus for the, for the AI COI. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going back to you for a second. Um, this is on, on the whole scaling issue. So from a Microsoft perspective, um, you've been there for 25 years, right? Yeah. Um, how have you seen, as, as AI has been deployed, how have you seen the challenges of scale, the challenges of adoption to your own workforce, but also to the, the agencies you're trying to work with? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So to our internal workforce, I'd say it's happening right now. So we're scaling AI uh, into into our workforce. Most recently, we announced something called Copilot, Microsoft 365 Copilot, which is essentially generative AI on your Microsoft 365 Office 365 data. And so uh, that's happening. We 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 approached this in in waves. Uh, I had a conversation just before I got here today with a, another federal agency that's looking to uh, learn from us around how we did it internally. And so. Uh, there's different approaches. Uh, we typically have communities of practice. Uh, we stand up centers of excellence, and then we deploy the technology in waves. And so as far as some of the challenges, uh, John talked about this. I mean, when you put a new tool in front of people, um, they, it takes time to get used, used to the, the tool, and they have to learn how to use a tool. And there may be some innate skepticism. And so I think one of the things that needs to be considered and, and we need to do is just have empathy for the fact that, hey, this is we're asking people to do something new. They're used to doing it in a different way. And so now uh, when we drop this new set of tools, uh, there will be some natural skepticism. There may be some fears and concerns around how this technology might um, automate away uh, what they have been doing for a number of years. And so as you deploy the technology, you have to be thoughtful around that and and um, consider that as, as part of uh, the way it, it, it is brought into the organization. And one of the another best practice that we've seen to be successful is to uh, do things like find champions internally within the organization who can or champion or champions within the organization to bring that technology forward. And then also storytell within the organization. So uh, create. Uh, great examples, positive examples that reinforce how the technology will be beneficial and then market those stories internally. Mm. And so that's one of the things that sort of reduces the barrier to entry as you try to scale this technology in the organization. 
as John mentioned, we have very little time, but I do want you to say a couple of words about what a center of excellence is in this in this context. Yeah, so a center of excellence is an organization within an organization within the organization that's focused on uh, deploying the technology. So fundamentally, that's what it is. And so there's different components that might within AI. Uh, especially generative AI, we, we're thinking about things like ethical. There's someone needs to think about the ethical deployment of AI, responsible AI. Someone needs to think about cyber security implications. Uh, someone needs to think about integration of this technology into the existing uh, tools that we already use. Someone has it in that center of excellence. Also needs to think about uh, where are the opportunities to reinvent in existing processes um, because. You know, obviously, this isn't when you deploy new technology like AI, this is an opportunity to do do things differently. So those are some of the things we might do within a center of excellence. I appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF, the podcast on any major podcast platform. Visit HSDF.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum.